to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning, we're going to be in the first part of Ezekiel 38 through 39. You have to put these two chapters together because they go together. So it is part one, um, but we, we do look at them together. Now, the last time we came together, the message was titled, No Favorites, No Favorites. And I know that that's going to be encouraging for a lot of people. And if you weren't here, certainly you can go on the website and go online and get the message for free. Um, if you've had a rough upbringing and you tend to have a negative view of yourself, That message is definitely for you because God looks at you equally as he looks at everybody else. God doesn't play favorites. The world does that, but the Lord never does that. And today the message is titled Closer Than You Think. Closer Than You Think. So by a show of hands, how many people have heard of the Battle of Armageddon? Raise your hand. All right. So pretty much everybody, right? If you go out into the world, your relatives, uh, maybe they don't know the Lord, and you ask them, They will also say they've heard of the Battle of Armageddon. However, what we're going to cover this morning is actually, except for those that really get into the scripture and delve deeper into it, there's another battle. It's called the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle, and it's been uh, called by different names, which is actually a lot closer than you think. Um, When we actually go through this, you're going to be surprised and say, wow, I didn't know all these things. This could literally happen at any time. So... Uh, I'm going to go through some proofs because I did invite some people to watch online and to come here. Uh, and maybe there's some people here who don't know the Lord. I'm going to make a bold statement and say this is one of those messages that will prove the existence of God. Now, you can prove the existence of God through many different uh, you know, metrics, but the person has to be able to receive the things of God. You can show people truth all day long, but... Will they move past their preconceived upbringings and ideas to actually reach back out to God? So we're going to look at this in six parts, and uh, we're going to jump in. Ezekiel 38, we're going to start with. There's a lot to it here, and I'm going to break it down for you. It says, now the word of the Lord came to me. So the Lord is speaking to Ezekiel, the prophet, saying, son of man, set your face against Gog, of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meschek, and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meschek, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses, and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them all, all of them with shield and helmet. Now, some of these names are going to be familiar and some of them are not. So we're going to talk about that. Gomer and all of his troops, the house of Togarma from the far north, that's a key, and all its troops, many people are with you. Prepare yourselves and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter years, you will come back into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel. 
which had long been desolate, they were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many people with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will make an evil plan. It's amazing that God even knows our thoughts, right? That's pretty powerful. He can focus on 7.8 billion people on the planet, but he can also deal with us individually. You know, even in Romans 8, it says that sometimes when we're overwhelmed, that the Holy Spirit will make intercession for us. I mean, we all will get to this point in life, if you've lived long enough, where you're exhausted. You're just tapped out. And um, the Lord knows. He knows your thoughts. He knows your cries, even if they don't get uttered through your voice. You will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba, Dida, and the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty? to carry away silver and gold and take away livestock and goods to take great plunder. Therefore, son of man, God speaking to the prophet, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God on that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know of it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come against my people. Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. So here comes this, this, this great battle, this great army. It's multinational and uh, it's not a good thing. And here's God's response to that. Thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophet of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? And it will come to pass at the same time when Gog comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. So it just God is God and Gog is somebody's name. Totally separate, and I'll get to that. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I've spoken, surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. It brings us to the time of revelation. We'll get to that. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. And I will bring him to the judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Thus, I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So one out of six is... Dormant prophecy of war. This is a very unusual prophecy that God gave to the prophet Ezekiel in the 6th century, not A.D., but B.C. This is 2,600 years ago. 
And if you take all the people groups together in the nations, this has never, ever happened. Now, we know that everything God says comes to pass. So what we do know is there are some prophecies, not a lot, that are left that will come to pass possibly in our lifetime. That's interesting. So three main battles, and I'm going to do parts one through six and then sort of A, B, and C. And I'll go through the proof text quickly And then I'll slow down for the application. So you can always rewind the video. Uh, YouTube has a transcribing mode where everything I say, some people say I talk too fast. Uh, But modern technology, you can actually see it and cut and paste it. So um, anyway, A, Ezekiel 38-39 battle, which we're talking about this Sunday and the next Sunday, which I believe is the next major battle to take place. This is a multi-nation invasion of Israel. Why? We're going to get to that. B, the battle of Armageddon. Okay, that's a separate battle, right? The Antichrist or the great uh, aggressive fascist globalist who's probably in politics today will muster up much of Western Europe to, um, to do really pretty awful things. So again, I asked a show of hands. How many have heard of the battle of Armageddon? Almost all of you raised your hand. How many of you heard of the Antichrist? Almost all of you would know that as well. So that's a more popular battle. That's an end times battle that a lot of people, even non-Christians are familiar with. Okay. Um, which I believe takes place after the Ezekiel 38, 39 battle. I'm doing this in chronological order. C would be the final battle in Revelation 20 after the millennial kingdom is over, which I covered when I was in Revelation, which I believe is the shortest and the last battle. Two out of six is manuscript evidence. Why am I bothering with this? Because sometimes when I say, The details that the Lord gives in his word about future events, the response is, there's no way that that could have been written that long ago. Nobody could have known that. And I would agree that nobody could have known that except for God. God is outside of time. Time does not throw God off. He knows the end from the beginning. And part of the way he proves his existence is through prophecy. So manuscript evidence, A, B, and C. Three basic manuscripts, A, the Septuagint, which is a third century, not A.D., but B.C., manuscript at the request of Ptolemy II, who was a historic figure. And this, what what he desired to do, he was able to get 70 Hebrew scholars who were fluent in both Hebrew and Greek. And this uh, translation is very old. They took the entire Old Testament, translated it into Greek so that the Grecian world... Literally, they took monotheism to the polytheists. So they shared, this is our God. This is the true God to the Grecian Empire, which is pretty fantastic when you think about it. I have a copy. It's pretty cool. B, the Dead Sea Scrolls. So some of these things you're going to say, oh, I've heard of that. I haven't heard of that. So I'm just putting it all together for you. The Dead Sea Scrolls, 3rd century B.C. to 1st century B.C. Hebrew, Ezekiel 38, is also in that. Okay, some of the scrolls are a little fragmented, but now they're safely in in a museum uh, under guard. C, the Masoretic text, which is also a pre-modern age manuscript. This is a text that the Jewish people use today. Um, The Masoretic text is well-revered, and Ezekiel 38 and 39 is in that as well. And the reason I tell you all this is because um, I'm telling you that Secular people, not God-fearing people, secular historians and paleographers and archaeologists 
all agree that these things were written a very long time ago. So, you know, 2,600 years ago was the prophecy. Um, the discoveries of some of these manuscripts happened 2,300 years ago. Nobody can say it's a modern contrivance. Okay. Three, this is where it gets interesting. Who are the belligerents? All right. Today, it's not a normal sermon. Normally, when I give a sermon, I use a lot of application and things you could take home. This morning's going to be a little bit like a prophecy conference. But I think it's things that you need to know. There's going to be application, but this stuff is, is something that should have a tremendous impact on your life, especially as a Christian who's trying to share with non-believers who are challenging your faith and the veracity of the personhood of God. So this stuff is neat. Who are the belligerents? Three. I'll just tell you that I used the Bible history, Genesis 10, which is the uh, table of nations, the Hebrew lexicon, which gives the Ezekiel 38 and 39 broken up into the Hebrew words with all the uh, translations in the semantic range. I'm going to go through this quickly because I don't want to bore you. Um, Linguistics, etymology, E-T-Y-M-ology, which is how words evolve over the years, and also translations versus transliterations. So we translate a word, what does it mean? Some words are not to be translated because it, it's sort of a, a meaning all in its own. It's transliterated. So it's brought from one language to another in its basically same form. Okay, And the concordance, which tells me all the different places uh, that the word is found in the scripture. So A, Gog, leader of Magog, Rosh, Meskech, and Tubal. When we talk about Magog, when we talk about Gog, he's a leader. Now, some people say Rosh means Russia. I don't agree with that. Rosh means chief. So in some translations, it says that God is addressing this person who's the chief prince of Magog, Tubal, and Meskek. Now, Magog represents the area of the Caucasus Mountains. So that would be that would be very far south of Russia. So Magog, it was a, he was a son of Japheth. You know, we're going to study the migration patterns of people. Uh, it's, it's quite fascinating, anthropology, etc. When we look at, when we look at uh, Meskek and Tobol, sometimes when God speaks in his prophetic word, he says that certain events are going to happen at this port. At these mountains, we just covered the mountains of Israel. At these river heads where cities were built. Why? Because people move, but those things don't. There's some ebb and flow in ports and rising and, and shrinking in sea levels. Mountains are mountains. Unless they're bombed, um, they're still going to be mountains. So what God does is he says, go to these areas. This is where this is going to happen. But Throughout the millennia, people groups can change who inhabit those areas. So, Meskek, um, as a matter of fact, Moscow, the city of Moscow, was built, um, at least it goes back uh, about a thousand years. There was the Slavs, and Slavs, S-L-A-V, inhabited it, some Finnic people. Oh my goodness, there's so much in my head. I did so much study on people groups and migratory patterns. But let's just say that back in the day before modern well drilling, ancient civilizations built their civilizations on rivers, Euphrates River, right? Babylon, um, in port cities, because water is life. 
in today's day, you can put, pretty much put a city anywhere. So the, the Moskva River was inhabited by a group of people that eventually became a Moscow. Um, Tobol, or Tubal, is also a river in central Russia, central and western Russia, which Tobolsk, the city of Tobolsk, was built on. Now, if we look at the map, if we go to the map, and we go due north, what do you see here? You see here is Israel, Jerusalem, right? When you go to the north, God says the far north, here's Moscow, and here's Tobolsk, and in this area are the Caucasus Mountains. Interesting, isn't it? Now, little disclaimer, very important. When we talked about Revelation and the Euphrates shrinking or drying up and the kings of the east crossing the Euphrates, I made a very important point because our culture is, is being dumbed down as we speak. Words are changing. Um, you can use something biblical and somebody goes, wait a minute, that's not right. It's because it's ignorance. Okay. Um, when you look at some of these, these groups, again, there's migratory patterns. We talked about China. Unfortunately, ignorant people think that in China are only Chinese people. There's actually, if you do a study, there's 53 different ethnicities. China's huge, over 1 billion population. So you can't, when we look at these nations and how they're going to march south, you can't judge the people by the nation, right? And I would say to my overseas friends, please don't judge Americans by some of the wacky leaders who are leading our country. I won't judge Russians or Iranians or Chinese. Please don't judge me by some of the incompetent people that are running this country. Um, so we, we have to get that out there, right? That's important. Migratory patterns, we look at, uh, in the early days, tribalism. People would uh, be from the same family. They would settle in a certain area. As history progressed, tribalism moved to nationalism. Again, if you watch the evening news, you're going to get the wrong impression of what these words actually mean according to the dictionary. What happens is tribes would come together and build nations, right? And they would have borders. You looked at this in the Grecian Empire, Right? The Athenians and the Spartans, they were different, for uh, lack of a better term, different tribals, tribes that came together to fend off the Medo-Persians. They solidified the nation of Greece. You see where we're going with this? This is the proper application of words. Um, nations expanded into empires or what I would call regionalization. So when you look at the Persian Empire, the crux of that was Iran or ancient Persia. However, it did have elements of Iraq, Babylon, Afghanistan, different areas. They were a mighty Persian empire. But then when they were conquered by the Greeks, you know, per, yes, I'm going to get everything right here. They, they started to shrink and go back to their nation. Are we straight with all that? So this is migratory patterns. It's very, very important. Let me go back to, I'm going to, trust me, we're going to get... Some people are like, wow, is anthropology in here? Is, well, I'm, getting, I'm going to get to the physics part, so we'll, we're going to have some fun this morning. I look at three layers here. Number one is location, right? Location. I don't want to say it three times. You'll think I'm a realtor. But, uh, <laughs> but the occupants change 
I've already made this point, locations. God says Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39. When we get to Revelation, that battle, some people have left that area. Some people have moved in. So again, it's not ethnicities. It's location and where people end up and what that nation becomes. Um, we even see with the Russian Federation in the Cold War, right? The, uh, um, you know, the, the, the Eastern Bloc states that they took, right? But then when Russia went through its hard times, they let them go. Like Poland was free again and, and some of those nations. So we see this. I, I enjoy history, as you can tell. All right, so location, occupants change. B, spiritual disposition. Gog is not a good guy. So I think you got that point. He's not a good person. He's leading these forces to attack Israel, right? Or whoever he's attacking, he's not a good person. C is an evil embodiment of a leader. We've seen this in Isaiah 14. We've seen this in Ezekiel 28. And we're seeing it with Gog. In other words, is that demons, there are demons, they're fallen angels, they're territorial. And this is a spiritual battle. And to the demonic world, they don't like God's plan of salvation, obviously. They're not really fans of us. God loves us, so therefore they rebelled against God. They don't care for us very much. So what they do is they, and we've seen this in Daniel, we've seen this in Ezekiel and Isaiah, they, they, you can't see them, but they move into territories. And they, they can't force their way in, but they suggest things to leaders, kings, presidents, etc., and when that leader, because of his or her own ego, starts to feel powerful and it's a rush for them, they more and more open themselves up to these demonic presences. So, not surprised, in any given day, in any given country, there are leaders who are possessed by demonic forces. Listen to some of these people talk. The things they say are really off the wall. They seem maddened, and they're running millions of people, right? So... There's an evil leader embodiment. There's a spiritual predisposition, which let me put that on the side. Let's look at the second grouping. B, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya, right? Persia used to be Persia until 1935 when the name was changed to Iran. Oh, I know Iran. But Persia's been around for thousands of years, Okay. We, my wife and I took in a young lady about 20 years ago who was, I thought, Iranian. She lived with us for a year. We actually were, it's a long story, we've had an interesting life. We were, she was, she was in danger. So we took her in our home and we were protecting her. And a year later, she, the coast was clear. It's, it has to do with overseas stuff and it's just crazy. Anyway. I like to learn about people. I've had Egyptian people stay with me, um, Middle Eastern people. I like to learn about people that are not like me. I like to learn about different people. So this girl was living with us, and she, uh, I would refer to Iranian, and she would stop me and say, and I never made the same mistake afterwards because I respected her. She said, we are Persian. I'm like, whoa, that set me back. This girl, who was straight from Iran, um, identified with the ancient people of the Persians. Isn't that interesting? Now, Ethiopia and Libya, we talked about in our Africa study in uh, the former chapters of Ezekiel, the 25th Egyptian dynasty and the Kushite empire, which superseded the Egyptians, right? They were more south, east, in Africa, and they had power and they were able to become pharaohs 
for a limited amount of time, they took over the uh, Egyptian empire. So when we look at these names, Ethiopia and Libya, they're called by different things. This is fascinating because did you know that Ethiopia right now is embroiled in a civil war? Right? What do we see on our, our media, especially at night? Am I a boy or a girl? Um, you know, um, should this race be mad at that race? Like this is the stupidity we get on a daily basis. There are things going on in this world that will affect us at some point. And our media is, is bogged down in ridiculous discussions. Okay, that's just my personal opinion. What's the problem with a civil war in a large country or country that covers a large ground? Well, let's go back to, does anybody remember Benghazi 10, 11 years ago? Our embassy was attacked. Ben, Benghazi is in Libya. Libya, after Muammar Gaddafi, some of the radical elements, I just love overseas news, right? This stuff is fascinating, geopolitics. Ansar al-Sharia took over and attacked our embassy, killed our ambassador and three other Americans and many others were wounded. So when you have civil wars, when you have leaders that are removed in some of these areas, you never know what you're going to get next. And the Libyan people, sadly, after it was, they couldn't do anything. It was well over 100 militants who were attacked. Libyan people held up uh, placards afterwards. We love you, America. We're so sorry. They were horrified, but they have no control. So what's going to happen in Ethiopia? I don't know. Libya is still fighting radical elements. So the wrong person gets into power and has control over the military. Very easy for them to engage. And when you look at some of these radical elements, they hate the West. They hate Israel. Start putting it together. So this is, this is why this stuff matters. Gomer and Togarma um, is largely seen as the area of Turkey. I have a friend who is a missionary, went over into ISIS territory to share the gospel with all those people there who were displaced. He's an amazing person. Um, and he's very familiar with the leader of Turkey, who is uh, Erdogan, who there was a coup attempt in 2016, which has made him more paranoid and more fascist. So Turkey's involved in this. Do you see how this is starting to come together? Do you realize that this is a powder keg that with a spark, this could happen at any time? That's what I'm trying to show you. See, the last group, and then I'll get into some of the, um, some of the applications. The ones protesting. Sheba, Dedan, right? Verse 13. Tarshish and its young, lion, young lions. Now, Sheba and Dedan have always been understood as the Arabian Peninsula. The Arabian Peninsula, okay? Tarshish, we see this in Psalm 48. We see this in Jonah, the unlikely prophet who didn't want to go and minister to the... Let's, if we could put up the map. So Jonah, instead of going to the Ninevites, he's disobedient to God. He gets to a port in Joppa and he ends up over in the Iberian... He went a long way. People will go a long way when, when God wants them to do something... And they become stubborn. I've been there. I didn't go all the way to Tarshish, but, um, but we're just stubborn as humans, aren't we? So he goes, he figures, I'm going to get away from God. I don't want to do what he's called me to do. He goes all the way to the Iberian Peninsula, which Portugal and Spain are a part of. Um, so we know we're familiar with Tarshish, right? And when I say, and, and then, then Tarshish, which could be understood, well, definitely understood as Western Europe, what we understand today as Western Europe. It also speaks about the young lions. 
when we were in Ezekiel 19, young lions is symbolism, it's a metaphor. What it means is the progeny of those nations. So in other words, the main lion in Ezekiel 19, she had her two young lions, which were the successive kings, which eventually, unfortunately, became part of the Babylonian Empire. So the young lions, if you're looking at Western Europe, what nations are pretty new in the Western world? 300 years, 200 some years is not a long time. We're probably talking about uh, the United States and Australia. So tell me this, why is the Arabian Peninsula, the United States, Australia, and the West, Western Europe complaining, protesting, have you come to take plunder? Have you come to rob them of resources? Right? It almost seems like this could be a discussion at the UN. Countries that don't have the power or are unwilling to get involved, they protest, but there's not much more they can do. Let's do a UN resolution. Meanwhile, these people are still marching, right? Um, are, is it isolationism? Is it weakness? Not really sure. If we could go back to the map, Saudi Arabia is over here. In the last uh, administration, there was a historic peace treaty which got Saudi Arabia, eventually, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and other nations making a peace treaty with Israel. Oh, that's interesting. Sheba Deden and the young lions of Tarshish are protesting this invasion south into Israel. I'm going to put it all together. How do we rectify... So let me just go to an application. How do we rectify in verse 4 that God puts hooks in their jaws and he brings them forth? But in verse 10, he says, the thoughts will arise in your mind and you will devise an evil plan. See, when you read the Bible out of context, you can make it say whatever you want. You have to take everything in context. So, so there's, a, there's an enticement to this, this confederation of nations. And we're going to talk about why, why bother? Why would they do something like this? We're going to go into that. There's, a, there's a, an evil thought of the leader who gets these countries together, has discussions with them, and has a, a coalition of nations that marches south into Israel, right? So that's a fascinating thing. But it almost seems like partially that God is putting the hooks in their jaws to bring them out, and then he punishes them. If you remember the lying spirit that God allowed to go to King Ahab, King Ahab was wicked. God tried to reach Ahab so many times. He loved him. He loves all wicked leaders. He loves all people, wants everybody to be saved, but some just won't do it. So God was, was pretty much done with Ahab and his wickedness. He let him, he wanted to listen to demonic spirits. He let him do it. The prophet Balaam, right? He kept going back and forth between God and King Balak because King Balak had riches and he was enticed by that. Eventually, he ends up with Balak. Very sad. Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh? Uh, he hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. Then it says God hardened his heart. You can read that quickly and not see that. What God did was God allowed Pharaoh to be solidified in that state. He was against God, he relented, he was against, and eventually he was solidified in his wickedness, and he suffered for it. I read to you uh, Genesis about God trying to reach Cain, Abel's brother, trying to talk sense into him, reason. And then after that discussion, he goes and he kills his brother. I guess what I'm trying to say is that God does draw people, but he also gave us free will. And that's that incredible kind of enigma um, par- par- Paradox. 
that we, we see in the scripture and we can see it in our own lives. We, God has given us free will. We have the choice to follow him or to not follow him. But I would just say this, be careful what you pine away for. Be careful what you hide in your heart that you know is not good for you, that you know is not right for you. And you just keep playing this game back and forth between the things of God and the things of the world. Because, you know, God wants to win you. But at some point, whether it's us, simple nobodies in the world, or world leaders, um, we can sit in a pile of ashes and look back. And we can really put these pieces together and say, well, I know where this started. And you know what? God was good to me. and God did warn me. But you know what? I still went my own way. So a lot of lessons to be learned here. Four and five, I'll go through this quickly. The military equipment used, horses. And people will say, nobody uses horses in wars anymore. Did you know over six million horses were used by all sides in World War II? I did some research on it. That's a lot of horses. There's a lot of hay and stuff to feed them. But um, they are still used today because they can get to hard to reach places, especially when you're talking about ravines and and, uh, mountain ranges and stuff that modern equipment just can't get to. The bucklers that it speaks about in the lexicon, it says it's a large shield as if guarding by prickliness. That's weird. It says the shields that they were using and I quote this from the Hebrew lexicon, the shields were a protector with the scaly hide of a crocodile. You know, years ago when I was a policeman, um, I was selected with a small group of officers to change the firearms because ours were aging and they were misfiring and stuff. And it was a really honorable position I was in. We changed the firearms for the entire police department, on duty, off duty. And I tell you what, we got into physics, we got into ballistics, we got into um, body armor, soft body armor. You look at the military application, soft body armor, hard body armor. Then you look at tanks and armored vehicles. You're also looking at armor. What's the goal? The goal is to stop the projectile from penetrating the armor and killing the person or the people inside the vehicle. It's the same principle. What we're talking about is physics, and we're talking about vectors of force that are moving in one direction. The idea is to take that vector of force, keep it, stop it from going to where it's going, and when it makes contact is to disperse the kinetic energy laterally. So the physics, the vectors in the physics now go laterally and disperse, 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 and eventually it doesn't penetrate. So that's the goal. There is a type of armor that the military uses. It's called explosive reactive armor. And what happens is when the projectile hits the tank with this armor, it has little pockets of C4 and little metal plates. And my engineers will like this. Um, What happens is when the projectile hits, even if it's an explosive tip, the tank actually explodes this charge and uses the force of the explosion to push that projectile from penetrating the tank. I looked, at, I looked it up on the internet. You know what it looks like? looks like a crocodile. <laughs> so here Ezekiel is using primitive words to describe to us a battle that's going to take place so far into his future, he's never seen modern warfare. So he has to describe all this. Isn't that amazing? So if you look at some of these armored cars, you look at some of these tanks, um, you look at even some of the um, armor that the military is is uh, experimenting with, it looks like the scale of an animal, a porcupine, a crocodile. That's modern armor, folks. So I just had a little fun with that. Four out of six is, why is the United States and Western Europe seemingly not involved? 
Why are they not involved? Let's look at this. So let me just say this for the record, because I don't want to tune anybody out. I'm going to cover geopolitics. I don't really care about Republicans and Democrats. But we do have to talk about alignments of nations overseas. And we are going to talk about that because we have to. Uh, There is... So every president that I can remember, um, Clinton, Bush, um, Obama, uh, Trump, and Biden, have all tweaked things in the Middle East. I don't know if they know it or they don't know it. I mean, I'm sure they're so busy. Do they consult with people who talk about, who know anything about Bible prophecy? You know, the invasion of, of Iraq, ancient Babylon, a little bit of an accelerant. The pullout of Afghanistan, big accelerant. Let's look at the map. So when we look at the map, okay, we see that here's Afghanistan, right? Here's Iran. Here's China. You go far enough, you you hit Russia. One, two, three that surround Afghanistan are part of what's called the Asian Cooperative Dialogue that has been around only in the last two decades, Guess who is taking the forefront in the Asian Cooperative Dialogue? Mostly Russia and China and a little bit with Iran. So what we did was when we, disclaimer, full disclosure, I'm not a fan of forcing our young men and women to go overseas and build nations for people who don't want to fight for it themselves. We did it as Americans. Um, I've counseled soldiers with PTSD, young soldiers who come from theater overseas. So you might think, well, you, you sound like you have a bias that I'm not a war hawk. Okay. However, what we did this year was totally insane. Totally insane. What we did was we left a power vacuum here where some of these players can get in there and we're not an obstruction anymore. And I'll just, let's see, I'll just use um, Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, uh, very concerned about intelligence. He felt that what happened, and he said it very tactfully, um, left us blind overseas and is leaving us blind for an attack on our own soil. Okay? Some people I know that work with the government have their head shaking. Um, the New York Times spoke about the lack of presence in that area. Again, I'm not for endless wars, but to pull out like that, we left billions of dollars of Apache helicopters planes, drones, technology, which are right now in the hands of the Russians and the Chinese, and they're reverse engineering them so that we lose our edge on the battlefield. If we don't make new equipment, they already know what we have. They already have our equipment, and they know how to defeat it. And they're probably doing target practice just to see that they, they can get it right in case we decide to venture onto the battlefield again. So why are we not involved? Maybe we just we're just incompetent, the Western powers at this point. Maybe we've become isolationists. I don't know. What I do know is if you read overseas news right now as we speak, Russia has amassed a force of a tremendous army on Ukraine's border. And they're, they're nervous. Wouldn't you be if you were the president of the Ukraine? Um, China has flown, has continuously flown bombers over Taiwan. Taiwanese are a little nervous. Wouldn't you be if the Chinese uh, military was flying bombers, bombers over you? The bad actors smell the weakness, and they're going to fill that. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not predicting anything. But I will say this. It's fascinating, isn't it? And as Christians, we need to know our Bibles. 
You know, I have uh, one of the officers I used to work with is here for a visit, and we'll talk about it afterwards. But, um, you know, whenever stuff would happen overseas, we would have our briefings, <laughs> and then we'd have a little lull, and I would take out the dry erase markers and go on the dry erase boards. And from memory, I'd, I'd say, this is Syria, <laughs> this is Iraq, and, and I would have arrows everywhere. And then the supervisor would walk in and go, what are you guys doing? <laughs> ah, it's just a little geopolitics, Lieutenant. But, um, it was, but what I did was I gave them a sense to pull them out of the brainwashing of American culture that's dumbing us down and to see that there's a whole world outside of the United States and that the Bible has predicted all this stuff. So when you look at this, just remember for a moment that this was written 2,600 years ago. The United States is not even 300 years old. We feel like we've been here forever, right? So that's less than 300 years. We're talking about 2,600 years ago. How the heck could Ezekiel know all this? It's only by, by God, right? So here's a question. Five, why attack Israel? Well, two of them are just, you know, common sense for nations looking to expand. And then the other two are more spiritual. So why attack Israel? Well, A, natural resources. Um, Israel has touted their natural gas reserves, oil. Well, that makes some people uncomfortable. Minerals and agriculture. B, it's a highly strategic area. So if we go to the map again, if you, let's say you're a super, a superpower and you control this area right here, right? Trade routes. Well, you have Africa over here, Arabian Peninsula, the Middle East, the Far East, and Europe over here, Russia up here. If you control this, trade routes were always important. And a lot of Israel's enemies in ancient times wanted to take over those trade routes. In addition, trade routes, you can also talk about military strategy. If you're in that area, you control a lot. I wonder if this week I'm going to get a call from the State Department. I'll, I'll let you know if that happens or I disappear. <laughs> I would just say to them, listen, it's all right here. You don't have to ask me this question. Read your Bible, folks. You know, you're in the government. You should know all this stuff. But it is amazing the ignorance of, of Scripture and things that um, really affect the national security of our country and the, and, and the whole world because people are ignorant of what it says in God's, God's word. So you have that. Uh, most importantly, there's a spiritual issue component to this. Anti-Semitism is heavily on the rise in France, in parts of Europe, and if you look at it, um, the United States. You know, I've talked to people that don't like Jews or Israel, and I, I'm curious. Why don't you? They don't even have an answer for me. There's something inside of them. There's just this hatred, and they don't even know why they don't like them. Like, I'm, I'm trying to pick their brain, but in their brain, they don't even know why. But it's a spiritual element to it, right? Um, what I believe is most likely the church has been raptured at this point, And Satan is, con uh, um, you know, concentrating his forces on, unfortunately, Israel, who has to go through that last seven-year period, that Shabuah, that's spoken about in Daniel chapter 9 in the Old Testament. Um, what could this, what also could be the spark that starts this is, well, we know, according to scripture, and we see the wailing wall, a small part of what's left of the remnants of the temple. We know that in Bible prophecy that the temple in Israel will be rebuilt and people say that's impossible. Well, if you go on templeinstitute.org, 
they have copied the lavers, the candelabras. I mean, they've copied all of the things that the Old Testament spoke about, all the artifacts that would be put back when that temple is rebuilt. And with modern engineering and building and construction, it could be built, if the go-ahead was given today, in a matter of months. So, is it possible that the rebuilding of the temple, now, if they put it on the Temple Mount, it would have to go next to the Dome of the Rock. That could, that could send shockwaves through the, through the Muslim world. Could that be the catalyst and the spark? Some questions I don't have answers to, but it, it's very interesting conjecture. In verse 8, it says, after many days and latter years, the Israelites will be brought back. So many days later, latter years, um, they will be brought back from all the nations. Massive influx into Israel after 1948. A lot of Jewish people left a lot of countries to come back to their native country. So this can only be described as post-1948. Verse 11 further confirms this. It's a land of unwalled villages. Now, in Ezekiel's time, there were no bombers. There was, really, there was no artillery. The invention or the discovery of gunpowder changed everything. However, before the discovery of gunpowder and aeronautics, you would build a wall around your village or your city, the bigger the city, the bigger the wall, to protect yourself from an invasion. The gates would be shut, your archers, your, you know, your guys on the wall would be ready to take an attack. Now, with the advent of paratroopers, aeronautics, artillery, walls, don't, walls really don't do much around cities. You see what I'm saying? So here, he's speaking about a day where Israel would be, it would be unwalled villages, unwalled cities. They don't need it anymore. They used to have it back, back in the day, uh, millennia ago. There was something incredible that took place with the uh, Israeli army, how quickly they were able to get on their feet and repel attacks. The modern, uh, the Iron Dome, it's incredible. They're always getting rocketed. We rarely hear this in the media. Israel's constantly getting rocketed. There's some interesting um, things that are happening as we speak. Tensions between Israel over the Golan Heights with Syria. There's Russian troops in Syria as we speak. There's Iranian troops. Um, Iran has openly said they want to destroy Israel. So it's getting close. Uh, Verses 19 through 20, we don't want to leave out the part about, so Pastor Joe, how do you, how do you, how are you sure about this battle and, and in these times and in our future? Well, number one, none of these nations have ever mustered up in the history of the last 2,600 years to do this. We know that everything God says will come to pass. All of his prophecies will come to pass. Um, we also see the great earthquake and cataclysmic events, which sound a lot like that seven-year tribulation period when we covered the Revelation study. So all of a sudden, the calmness that we see, we do have some disturbances in the climate and the weather, but nothing, nothing like the earth is going to see in the times of Revelation. So I would just say this, that if you, if you don't know the Lord, this should really get you curious. I will stay here and answer your questions. I'll answer your emails. Um, if you are considering considering God and the, and the power of what he knows and how he can tell the future. I am more than happy to have that discussion. Last, six out of six is the Sunni-Shia connection. So if you're familiar with Islam, right, after the death of Muhammad, Muhammad, he did not officially name a successor. So you have different branches of Islam. 
but you have the two main branches are the Shia and the Sunni. And the big argument they have, which has led to bloodshed, Iran-Iraq war, you had the Sunnis fighting the Shia on the border for eight years, killing each other. Same religion, different factions. Um, One group feels that they have the right to the caliphate, the successor to Islam. The other group feels that they have it. There's roughly, and and the numbers change over usually every 10 years, there's roughly 85% of the world's Muslim population are Sunni and about 15% are Shia, but Shia have a lot of power because they have a state-sponsored power base in Iran or the ancient country of Persia. So, yeah, so it has just a lot of information. (laughs) And if you look at, you know, again, you just, all you have to do is look at the discussions from the Iranian leaders, um, their desire to wipe Israel off the face of the map. So if we could put up the map again, uh, what you see is a very interesting counterbalance. And when we talked about that peace treaty with the Arabian Peninsula, Saudi Arabia, everyone understands as the hub of, or the, the official unofficial leadership of the Sunni faction. Okay. Iran is under, look how close they are. Iran is understood as the hub or the leadership of the Shia. These two don't get along. Iran tries to undermine Saudi Arabia's interest and vice versa. Again, if we go out of America, I don't really care who, uh, what's her name? Kim Kardashian is dating now. I mean, it's just, it's like, who cares? You know, who's taking the latest selfie of themselves on the beach? Can we get like real news? And uh, they're all guilty of it. It's just, it's so stupid. I mean, this is what's going on in the world. We're not in a bubble. All this stuff will affect us. So what you have is, I would say, is a sort of a crescent, right? You look at Hezbollah, you look at the Iranians in Syria, you look at the Iranian heavily influenced in Iraq. You have a a Shia crescent that's counterbalancing the, the Sunni crescent. And depending on where you go here, this gets a little bit more confusing because there's a lot of a mixture. But how would Ezekiel know this stuff? But these are the folks who are going to take the opposite sides in this invasion. How many different ways do we have to go through this? I mean, no way Ezekiel could have known this. So let, let me just, let's just take a break and, um, and we'll, we'll wrap it up and then we'll finish next Sunday. A lot of good things to discuss, but... In verses 21 through 23, through this miraculous destruction of this seemingly invincible army, only God could, could nullify this army. And, and we're going to go into um, even the soldiers. It's, it's just a strange thing that they attack each other. Um, you realize that in, look up the horses, six million horses. Look up to desertion in World War II. Look at how many people deserted the Red Army because they were afraid to fight the Nazis. Look at how many in the German armies um, deserted because they didn't want to go into Russia. But the sixth, uh, Hitler's Sixth Army, when it went into Russia, had uh, Croatian forces. It had Italian forces. They weren't just Germans. There was well over a million men. Who It was such a, a bloodbath on both sides. Uh, but th- there is sometimes confusion in the troops. Sometimes they fight each other. Sometimes there's friendly fire, especially when you have forces that are that big. This is not unusual, but God will, he will cause the confusion. Some of the, uh, the nations 
will maybe grumble and say, I don't want to, why am I going to this war? Why am I fighting this war? And there's desertion, there's infighting. So you see this cataclysmic events, maybe that's the catalyst for some of the soldiers and, and just to get out and say, that's it, we're done, put the rifles down, go back home. Uh, but you see, it's a pretty powerful situation, but people will see. Because it'll be, once they start marching, the world's going to look aghast and be like, well, there's no way anyone's going to be able to stop this, this coalition. However, God is going to do the work. He's going to thwart it. At the same time, Israel will start to see her God through this. Israel today, there's a small portion, if you do that by, by the numbers, small percentage that are super religious or uh, very adherent to the faith. Many of them are secular. Okay? A lot of people don't know that. But... Let me just focus on this for a minute. You know, why are we here? (laughs) You know, why are we here in church? We're here to understand God's word more and hopefully have a positive effect on other people and to bring them that close, much closer to understanding their God. You know, when, and people do this, part of the, the attitude towards the Jews and the Israelis are, whoa, chosen people, you know, why do you throw that around? Actually, if you read the Bible, Chosen for what? God chose Israel to put them in the middle of the world to shine a light of God to the pagan world. And a lot of times they didn't do that. We read that in the prophets. Let me take it one step closer. Saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Saved for what? Sometimes Christians and people in the church have this attitude that, oh, I got saved And they hit the finish line. But when we get saved, it's just really the starting line. As long as we live, our desire, we should have the same heart that God has to see people around us get saved. So, you know, you kind of, it hits home a little bit. Why prophecy? Not, not for any of us to look smarter than, than the other one. Anybody could do this. It's very easy to find this information. It's to win others to God. It's not for people to live in fear. I asked my coworker at uh, after service. Um, I I just was very matter of fact when I shared God and Christ and world events, and I actually was happy because I knew that no matter how wacky things got on this planet, that the Lord Jesus' kingdom was coming. So that gave me that light, that excitement to win other people to that. The the, the statistics on especially young people. Uh, who are either have committed suicide or are in, in a depression. The, the numbers are, and no one's talking about it. I know every, the Omicron is South Africa, I know. It's another variant of COVID. I get it, but there's a lot more people who are losing their lives because of hopelessness. And that's not on the media. You have to find those statistics, right? So my desire is for people to know their God. You know, we're, we're not done. I mean, it's going to get even better or whatever next Sunday. But consider this today. God loves you. He sent his son on the cross to die for your sins. And part of prophecy, especially people are struggling and they, they understand prophecy. It gives them hope when they're going through a difficult time. So consider this. He wants to deliver you. And he wants to deliver you from this awful time period that's going to take place. That much of the world is going to... Uh, be stuck with, but he's going to have called his believers home by then. So consider it if you, and listen, challenge me, write your questions down. Tell me what you have a problem with. Make sure you get your questions answered because the decision to follow Christ or not is more important than your promotion, buying another house, you know, um, 
what color car you get, uh, what kind of clothes you wear. My wife buys my stuff. I don't go into stores, so if you like it, just thank her in the back. Um, I don't do malls. Anyway, so yeah, that, that's really the most important thing, and I'll leave you with that. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.